Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you guys so very much. We know by what we've been hearing and what we see from our podcast downloads and on our website that you have been sharing our podcast. You troublemaker for the kingdom of God. Well, that's what we like to be. We are truth proclaimers and defenders And we thank you guys so very much, because as you know, we uh, couldn't do it without you. I I want to start off, I'm going to read some scripture from 2 Samuel in a minute. God put this on my heart, because I'm working on a sermon. I'm preaching in Illinois a week from Sunday. That'll be the 20th, for those of you keeping score on your calendar. If you're in the uh, Illinois, northern Illinois, uh, Lake Villa, Calvary Chapel, I'll be preaching there on March 20. Uh, It would be great to see you. But I want to say thank you. Man, that podcast we did with Pastor Kevin Minsky on Monday, great response. What was the topic? Discerning biblical churches versus unbiblical churches. What do you look for when you're trying to find a good local church? So I encourage you to check that one out from Monday. Um, Very important topic. It's one of the most common emails or requests we get here at Stand Up For The Truth. Um, And there's no perfect church. So... Um, but yet there are godly churches and godly men, and many of them are small churches, and the pastors work very hard to uh, just be consistent in their sound doctrine and teaching the whole counsel of God. Now, after the program yesterday with Linda Harvey, we had a lot of comments, great comments, but I received an email. I'm going to get into this later in the third segment about we the pronouns, the promotion of this pronoun agenda in our society, particularly in public schools. Got a note about a school right here in the Fox Cities in Wisconsin, actually a couple different schools, um, and they asked the administrators at the school, and they said, we, the administrators said, they have a, a canned response. We do not have a policy pertaining to staff asking students about their preferred pronoun. Well, then later on, if you press and ask different questions in, in you, rewording them, The response they got was, attached is a document that explains the legal protections for transgender students. These are not our policies, but rather federal law. So let me translate that for you, friends. When you're saying these pronoun policies or LGBTQ agendas are not in your local school because you have a small school, unlike the West Coast or the East Coast or the big cities in America, these small local schools that your children probably go to have federal policies they're going by when it comes to the protection of transgender students, and that includes the LGBTQ agenda and all that entails. Just so you know, I'll read that whole thing, that whole exchange, in the third segment today. Um, What else? Uh, Another message from a, a listener. Thank you about the great guests we've been having on uh, in the last uh, year particularly recently. Boy, next week you're going to love the guests too. We've got Dr. Alveda King, who is Martin Luther King Jr.'s niece. Plus, we've got Ray Comfort at the end of next week. He's got a new book out. Of course, he's The Way of the Master and Living Waters. And uh, it's just hard. It's amazing. It's hard to fit in all the great guests that we're scheduling. So uh, check them out on our calendar on the website, standupforthetruth.com. Finally, we have Red Pill Prince up in Canada, our Canadian brothers and sisters, we have partnered with. They are supporters of Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Um, I'm going to tell you for the very first time today that we have a, a product page on their website that it's, it's a Christian company. They support Stand Up For The Truth and biblical values and freedom. Um, you can check out the link. It, we put it on our Facebook page this morning. It's Red pillprince.com slash stand up for the truth. And, uh, you know, they're not cheap, but they're good quality. They ship to the United States, and I encourage you to at least check it out. We're trying to work on getting a hat, 
you know, different hats available, but we've got hoodies. They just added a, a long sleeve t-shirt. They added sweatshirts, hoodies, uh, different colors. We've got our stand up for the truth mugs and different types of designs. So check that out over at redpillprints.com. What a blessing that is. We haven't had a store for like eight years. We used to have all kinds of bumper stickers and bookmarkers and water bottles and T-shirts and hats. Well, we're slowly going to see how this works. But they decided they're not going with cheap vendors. They, they told us this. They don't, do not want to send out cheap T-shirts or sweatshirts or anything like that. So you're going to pay a little more. Just giving you a heads up if you want quality. And uh, bottom line, if you support the podcast and a Christian company that we've partnered with. Um, so check that out. Again, it's on our Facebook page. I should put that, you know what, I'll put that in today's uh, post as well at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, 2 Samuel 7, 12, 13, um, When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you, or your descendant, he's talking to David, who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then it goes on. This is the custom of, of man, O Lord God. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. For this reason you are great. For there is none like you. And there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And of course, that eternal throne is the throne of Jesus Christ, the descendant, capital D, of David. So as we open today, Father, we ask for your wisdom today as we talk about spiritual issues, biblical issues. We talk about the church, and um, we'll be covering some scriptures today. We need you to just uh, prepare our hearts, God, for what you want us to receive today. We pray that we would follow your Holy Spirit's lead, and that it would always be glorifying to you, whether it be challenging or encouraging in different parts of this discussion. We love you. We thank you that we have the freedom we do, and we are still on the air. And uh, we praise you for the protection against the enemy and his schemes. And we uh, just give you all the glory for the victory that you provided for us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We've got a first-time guest on today. He's got a book out called Are You Being Robbed? Eight Essential Keys to Reclaim Your God-Given Purpose. His name is Eric Uren. He's the founder of Everlasting Ministries and pastor of Riverside Christian Church out in California. He was the senior associate of the United States National Prayer Council, and he's got a background in physics, and he also is a certified chaplain and biblical counselor. A fascinating story. We're so thankful to have you on, Eric. God bless you, brother. Thanks for coming on Stand Up For The Truth. Uh, thank you, David. It's great to be here, and uh, God bless you for the ministry work that you do. Yeah, thank you, sir. We're uh, looking forward to talking about the book, Are You Being Robbed? Provocative title. I wasn't able to read the whole thing, but skimmed through it, as I do with every time I get a book in my hands in the mail. Uh, some of them I just uh, set aside that I will never touch again. <laughs> but others I say, you know what, I've got to look into this. I've got to interview this author. So tell us a little bit about your background, Eric. So introduce yourself to our listeners and include the fact that you grew up in a home where your mother was Pentecostal and your father was Lutheran. How did that help shape your faith? Yes, uh, you know, I contribute that to um, one of the, the writing styles of the book. Um, jokingly, I kind of refer to myself as an equal opportunity offender. Um, <laughs> a lot of my a lot of my uh, charismatic friends think I'm too conservative, and a lot of my uh, Baptist friends think I'm too charismatic. So <laughs> that's kind of right where I want to be. I wanted to write a book that is uh, challenging to all, all of us, and isn't just about my opinions or my experiences, which I do share some of those in there, but it's about what the Word of God has to say. Mm. So yes, I, I, I grew up with my, my dad was Lutheran, and my mom uh, being Pentecostal, Assembly of God Church. My pastor, or my grandfather, was a four-square pastor. So I kind of consider those the, the bookends of Christianity, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, through that, that, that gave me an opportunity to, to see and witness the diversity of the body of Christ, you know, anything from the, you know, the older, longstanding traditions to obviously, uh, you know, everything up to the Azusa Street Revival and uh, Pentecostalism. 
And and out of that experience too is where I, I came across, and I would call him my 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 mentor, Pastor Ted Rose, who has gone on to be with the Lord. But he was the founder of the United States National Prayer Council. Mm. And one of the things that we were able to do about seven years ago in the Sacramento region here in California was we set up a time where we were going to have uh, continuous 24-hour prayers. There was approximately, you know, and this is a rough estimate, around 27 different denominations at over 100 churches in the Sacramento area would host 24 hours of prayer continuously every single day. And so during that experience, that gave me the chance to, you know, as I could, go to as many of those uh, those different churches as possible and spend time praying with the congregations. A lot of the times the pastors of those churches would also pray continuously for 24 hours. And let me tell you, when you pray with someone for 24 hours, mm. you really get to know them on a spiritual level. Wow. Right? Yes. Because all, all, all those, the wish lists and all the, you know, <laughs> typical things that a lot of us pray— um, we get through those in the first 15 minutes. Mm. And after that, you know, it becomes more um, more grueling, uh, more challenging. We start battling against the flesh. So I say that to, to see again, that that gave me a lot of exposure um, because each church would, would lead the 24 hours of, of prayer um, based on their denomination, right, and their church style. Well, I certainly can admit that I need help in my own prayer life, and that's a challenge to me to pray more than, I mean, an hour, just like, oh my goodness. But yet, uh, I've, I've been a part of prayer meetings, you know, where people were able to come and go, and the church would hold it for 24 hours, and those are so fruitful. Um, yes, and, they are. Yep, yep. So there's so many things we need to get back to, and it's that's kind of an underlying theme in your book, the principles from Scripture that we need to get back to because it's about reclaiming your God-given purpose when Christians, particularly in America, forget their purpose mm-hmm. because we are too comfortable. It uh, doesn't produce very good fruit. So I'll go back to a very basic question for you. Um, I, I was reading in the preface of the book, it took you many years, over 10 years, to from when you started the book to completion because it was such an undertaking but what uh, led you to decide to write it at the very beginning? I mean, you, there's so many things you could have written about, or you could have just decided just to preach it at your church or write a blog and not a whole book. So tell us about that process, Eric. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it was over 10 years, about 12 years. And uh, if, if I took, if I paid myself $15 an hour, uh, that would be $250,000. <laughs> Um, and plus other, you know, monetary expenses on it. So yeah, I did, obviously I did not write this, this book to get rich. I I wrote it because the Lord put it on my heart. He gave me a a series of dreams Mm. and my experience in in being involved with a lot of churches, uh, you know, 12 years ago, several different, again, different churches, different denominations. There was a reoccurring theme I would see amongst the people at every church. And as I began discipling, uh, programs, that kind of uh, honed me in on what these eight keys were that I just saw, again, cross denominations that uh, Christians were uh, just weren't walking in, didn't have, they were ignorant, whatever the, the reason was. And the Lord put this on my heart, and, you know, I, I don't like to write. Writing's not my thing. But over time, I would run into people randomly who would come up to me and would say, uh, people I never knew, never met, in fact, some of them were even, uh, English was even their, their, their number one language, would say, hey, the Lord really wants you to write that book. And, and the code word I had for the book at the time was called the Owner's Manual. Um, even though God gave me the name of the book being, Are You Being Robbed?, which is kind of gave me the direction for the book. I, I didn't want to use that book when I was or that title when I was talking to people. And so this code name was one that I kept to myself, and yet I would have people that would come up to me and would specifically tell me that. that. And so at that point, I'm like, okay, God, you're obviously uh, trying to get my attention here. And being a Christian, I know we, we all experience those times where the Lord gives, He's gracious to us, um, he, 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 but there comes a time where He will discipline us if we continue to be disobedient. And at that point, I knew, I was walking into the territory of disobedience. So that's when I pushed forward hmm. on writing this book 
um, covering the eight strategic keys to reclaim our God-given purpose. Wow. And I'm sure, uh, as, as you know, I may or may not know, I've written some books, and it is such a, a challenging, difficult task at times, just because of the time investment. But also, if you're writing a Christian book that's, that's not fiction, uh, there is spiritual warfare involved because you're writing oh, about yeah. some important and serious issues. So tell us a little bit about that. Did you um, just encounter any times where the enemy really tried to discourage you? And I'm sure you did, or he did. But uh, tell us about some of the warfare you encountered. Yeah, one of the uh, one <laughs> one of the things in my nature, I hate uh, redundancy. I hate having to repeat myself. So that's that's one of my own things. I struggle and fight against my own nature. Um, that uh, the Lord helps me to overcome. But one of the big challenges was uh, a couple of years into writing the book and doing research, I had a hard drive failure. And even though I had things I thought backed up properly, they oh. weren't, and oh. I lost everything. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and and I did, <laughs> I definitely wanted to give up at the time. I oh. took a month off and uh, and got back into it. But yeah, so whether it be physical challenges like that, where you have technical issues and challenges, or again, like you said, the spiritual things, you know, the enemy, he always. What comes to whisper those lies in your ears to tell you all, oh, you know, what you're doing isn't going to mean anything. It's not going to be impactful. But uh, as I talk about in the beginning of the book, is Satan is a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And whatever he, he won't, uh, whatever he can't steal, he'll try to rob you of it. And uh, the reality is we're born into a fallen world, fallen nature, since, you know, the fall of Adam and Eve. Uh, everything was perfect before then. There was no death. God provided everything in the garden. And then uh, what I like to say, the first act of thievery came along, right, with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then the fall, and the fall of nature came with that, for the consequences of sin, right, being death, which I like to call the first law of thermodynamics or entropy. It's the unwinding, the undoing of all things. Hmm. But then Jesus Christ, amen, he came along, and he fulfilled prophecy. He died on the cross. And his powerful blood, which just one drop of his blood is powerful enough to destroy and overcome the entire kingdom of Satan. It's through that, uh, the redemption, that we can uh, get back those things which were once stolen to us um, through God. And so, even though a lot of these things, like I talk about identity in chapter 1, which is a big one right now, um, because I believe, like you said, particularly here in America, we are suffering from an identity crisis, Mm -hmm. uh, big time. A lot of the uh, the transgender issues and whatnot, which you, I know you were recently talking about, that I've been also been involved with. But a lot of those come back to that. Every single human being walking the earth has a void, and that void is the relationship that was once there by God's design in the garden. It is no longer there, and people in the world try to fill that void with things of the world, but things of this world will never be satisfaction. Because that satisfaction only comes when that void is restored through through our relationship with God and, and through Jesus Christ, and so ultimately that's where where the healing go our comes from, and so that's one of my my driving factors is we're born into a world of fever, and even if we're a Christian, right, like our identity in Christ gives us uh, access and privileges, hmm. just like a driver's license gives us certain access and privileges. When our identity is found in this world, privileges that come along with it are from this world. But when our identity is in Christ, right, our privileges and access comes through Jesus Christ and his redemption. And so a lot of people, they'll struggle. They'll try to say, oh, my identity is in my job. Mm-hmm. My identity is who I hang out with or what I wear. Or some people, uh, their, their illness will be their identity. I'm here to tell you that those things are not your identity when you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Your identity is who Christ says you are in Him. And when we know those things and, 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 t- and realize and take them to heart and utilize those things, it will change your life because God has a calling, a purpose, a destiny, a plan Amen. Uh, for each one of us. Amen, brother. We've got to take a break in about 30 seconds, but um, the book, Are You Being Robbed? We're going to talk more about what you've got in the introduction on Who is the Robber? going back to the basics of John 10.10 and then Matthew 13, 
Um, we're speaking with Eric Uren, pastor, California, and we're going to talk a little bit more about identity theft as well, and then the, the callings of believers and reclaiming your God-given purpose. More on Stand Up For The Truth in 90 seconds. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Pastor Eric Urene is our guest today. The book is called Are You Being Robbed? Eight Essential Keys to Reclaim Your God-Given Purpose. Now, there's tons of scripture in here, and it is uh, something that I would write. It's like a 300-page book. I'm trying to write a shorter one, God willing, next time if, if I decide to be a glutton for punishment. But um, I want to talk more about identity, Eric, because that's such an important Topic And today, because of the agendas of the enemy, the demonic agendas of the Antichrist spirit of the age, which, you know, minions, the devil uses people, uh, there's a lot of confusion, not only in our culture, but unfortunately in some of our churches on our identity. You said it right in the first segment. We've got to reestablish and affirm our identity in Christ before all things. So share a little bit about what made you decide to first make that an early chapter in your book and write so much about identity theft? Well, um, like the name of your show, Stand Up For Truth, this is a, an area where Christians, we need to be standing up for truth. Um, I've uh, been involved in, in being outspoken um, on this agenda for almost the last 12 years now. Um, had a niece that uh, had a situation that happened in her school, um, and uh, through that, uh, kind of gave me an awareness of the kinds of books that were um, and, and teachings that were being por- put forth in the schools. I, I personally, I live in the Placer County area, which is considered the Bible Belt for California. It's one <laughs> of the most conservative counties. So it was a shock to a lot of parents when they realized just how many uh, books were being circulated, and again, this is junior high school, too. This wasn't even high school. This was junior high school. The books that were there, they, they were so bad that I, there was no way I could read it out loud to my mom when I got a hold of, wow. of the copy. It was just, it was, it just made me blush. Um, later on, uh, some members in uh, my church also uh, uh, had a, an, a situation that came up, and they ended up being on uh, several national news networks, where they were in a charter school in Rockland, and their daughter came home one night, and as she was taking a bath, she saw herself in the mirror, and her hair was slicked back, and she started screaming and crying and telling her mom she didn't want to change into a boy. Oh, my goodness. And this is kindergarten, by the way. Oh, my goodness. And so and so the mother's like, what the heck is going on here? And so as she began doing more research, and more parents got involved, and, and then I heard about it, and I started getting involved. We found out that the whole school had orchestrated um, through emails that uh, ended up being disclosed, but initially they denied all of this. Mm-hmm. The teacher had a student in the class that they wanted to change uh, the gender of the student in the kindergarten class, had him change clothes, give his new name to all the kids in the school, and then, of course, you know, enforce that if kids didn't call uh, him by, by his new name, that there would be uh, uh, punished for it. In fact, some kids were actually sent to the principal for doing that as well. Mm. So it was through that that I was contacted uh, by a gentleman, uh, one of the bills, SB-179, that was coming up in the California legislature, which would give people the opportunity to claim whatever gender they wanted to on their driver's license. Wow. Uh, they were looking for a pastor that could speak before the assemblyman. And... I got a phone call less than 24 hours uh, before the bill was going to be heard where they wanted me to speak for about five or seven minutes. And at first I was like, oh boy, you know, I don't want to walk into a, a den of lions. I mean, who wants to do that willingly? But uh, as the Lord also prompted me to, again, stand up for truth, and I also found out that um, there were several other pastors that were asked, uh, well-known pastors in our area, that uh, denied uh, I turned down the opportunity to do this, and I was pretty much the last one on the list. <laughs> I was like, okay, I had to do this. And so I prayed, and we went in there. And to make a long story short, when uh, there was about, I don't know, 15 or 17 of the assembly people around me, 
Um, only one of them was conservative. Um, and I went in this room with approximately, I don't know, 250, 300 people. And they were all for the pro-LGBTQ, you know, uh, rights stuff. And so when I got out there, um, <laughs> I was almost alone. I had uh, one couple from our church and two other uh, wonderful uh, pastors that had come from the foothills that came down. And that was it. All the other people were very, uh, I wouldn't say hostile, but resistant to mm. Christianity, yeah. let's say. And so when I, was, I got there, I began sharing my testimony as a pastor and, and, and uh, the experiences I have had in praying for and counseling with people that have struggled with identity issues. Mm. A lot of people started laughing, and kind of mocking and joking under their breasts. And suddenly, out from my voice, you know, this is the Holy Spirit, <laughs> said that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ and healing available through the blood of Jesus. And let me tell you, the whole room went dead silent. Mm. You could hear a pin drop. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps right now. It, the, the atmosphere immediately shifted and changed. All the assembly people, they're all looking at each other. They're like, wow, did he just say Jesus? Can he say Jesus? <laughs> and, and so I'm, the I'm there to see, I said the J word. And it <laughs> seemed like an eternity, but I'm sure it was only like five or six seconds. But I, I thought they cut my mic off after that. But I, I touched my mic, you know, and put, 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 you know, it was still on. And so then I, I continued speaking. But what that demonstrated to me there was, you know, we, we talk so much about, you know, power in the, in the blood so many different hymns, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the power in the name of Jesus. And and that was a, a full demonstration in a room wow. where, like I said, it changed the atmosphere. And at the end uh, of the event, and the bill did get passed, by the way, uh, not surprisingly. Of course, but, yeah. Yeah, but the Lord said, okay, I want you to be in the back of the room and hold the door open for everybody that leaves. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I stood back there, I'm holding the door open, <laughs> smiling. But I had, for everybody that was leaving, lot were smiling. They mm. nodded. Some said, hey, I appreciate the way you communicated in, in love, uh, you know, your opinions and stuff. And some of them would say, you know, even though I don't agree with you, I appreciate the way you, you spoke and stuff like that. That's important. And then we did actually have, we did actually have a couple of people uh, that wanted prayer. Wow. Uh, because they, they felt conviction. And you could tell they're, they're dealing with pain, right? They're dealing with, with uh, uh, torment or, you know, confusion. Yes. And yes. it's a struggle. It's hard. You know, we need to, we need to acknowledge those things. Um, you know, and like you've said before, uh, bear witness and speak truth in love. And Amen. I know that can be hard to do sometimes. Yeah. Um, and one of the ways we do this to break through this confusion and pain is to reestablish the truth and authority in God's Word. And that starts in the Amen. church. And we've got to do it in the church first and then share the good news with a, a, a hopeless and a dying and a helpless culture. But it's interesting, before we get back to the book, I wanted to you know, talk about um, the robber, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Um, the press release I received from uh, Gina um, for your book says, California pastor who stood up to his state's lawmakers warns that Christians are ill-prepared for what lies ahead. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? What are you referring to of what lies ahead? And I know we've, we've only got 10 minutes left, but ju just try to just wrap that in a, you know, condense that for us. Well, I, I, think, the, <laughs> I think the easiest way to, to answer that is, uh, you know, Ezekiel, Psalm 38, uh, Book of Revelation, obviously the, the Word of God. Mm. But uh, in addition to that, for me, one of the things I've also been really pushing me is the Lord's giving me several dreams. And I found it difficult that a lot of people, particularly Christians, don't seem to want to hear about warnings. Uh, I think this may be one of the reasons why the book of Revelation is one of the least read books yep. in the entirety of Scripture. Yes. And so, and, and this is, I'm just going, just going to give you an example here. It's fully documented. I, I spoke on it in church. In 2018, uh, August 5th to be example, I was warning uh, both pastor friends of mine and the congregation that in the year 2000, there was going to be a man-made biological event that was going to uh, lead to uh, a push for mandated vaccinations. Hmm. 
Again, wow. documented. It, you can go, in fact, you can go to my website, areyoubeingrobbed.org, and you can watch the video. Hmm. Our church was prepared. I mean, not to, this isn't about bragging. This is about giving glory to God because he, you know, he warns us to be prepared for things. Uh, we were literally able to give out hundreds of rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> and toilet paper was a shortage. Wow. And it wasn't because it went out and we were like hoarding toilet paper at the last minute. No, we already had these things in, in preparation, right? Through prayer and, and knowing Scripture, studying the Word of God, hearing the Lord's voice, being obedient to His calling, that we were prepared. And so, it, again, and this is a challenge I want to throw out there to other believers that may be listening. It, you know, if you are a, uh, a hoarder or someone who is a prepper or prepares, God doesn't call us to have the bunker mentality. Right to go hide in the cave. Exactly. Because when you book the Re- when you look at the book of Revelation, people hiding in the cave are the ones that are afraid of God. Mm. Right. We're called to occupy until Jesus comes, and so if you're able, if we're able to to uh, be prepared for things to come, be prepared in a way where you're willing to give out to those in need. Because let me tell you, when people are on their deathbed or they're facing challenges in this world. They are open to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are several people I've known that were resistant to God their whole lives, but when it came to the time of being on their deathbed, hmm. their ears were finally open to accept the Lord. Wow. Praise God. Praise God. Well, I, I can't uh, echo that more strongly. I think of—I don't remember who shared this quote, but uh, for a Christian to fail to participate in the life of a local church, it's inexcusable. Because the Bible doesn't envision the Christian life as one lived apart from other believers. We're the body of Christ. Um, Eric, uh, I just want to get to—I'm going to ask you about the fact that you're not a fan of seeker-friendly churches, um, but I want to end with that. I want to go to this idea of—well, not this idea, this scriptural principle that the enemy robs us. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. You also shared Matthew 13 in the introduction of your book— where uh, Jesus is talking about sowing good seed, and then the field is the world, and the, you know, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, and the tares are the children of the wicked one. Can you elaborate on that, why you decided to uh, put that in your, in your introduction? Um, I, well, I think one of the first things that kind of led me there is I know a lot of believers, and particularly when it comes to family members, when we try to sow seed in the lives of, of others and, and to witness, uh, especially when we're very passionately involved, like, like I said, a family member. Some of us will, will try to throw seed, and if it falls on stony ground, we'll get a sledgehammer and we'll try to beat that ground <laughs> until it turns to dirt. And, and the Lord isn't telling us to do that. Sometimes we throw the seed, sometimes someone else comes along to, to shed, you know, share the water, and of course the Holy Spirit does what He is going to do in, in the lives. And so I thought it was, an, it, it was important because, again, I knew a lot of people that um, they wanted to just pound things into other people when they weren't willing or able to be receptive. Mm-hmm. And to know what the enemy does in, in those four different uh, phases, too, of life, even, to, and, and to also... Uh, I'm sorry, kind of jumping around, but sure. for, for believers too, new believers that do accept the Lord, we don't need to just like walk away. Try try to have a relationship to maintain with them, because I guarantee you, uh, nine times out of ten, you know, like the Word of God says, Satan's going to be right there to try to steal away everything that was just uh, implanted, just given to them. Mm-hmm. Or, um, so we need to to be disciples to to walk with them and to make sure they they get into uh, good good grounded soil. I mean, I think of the analogy of the fig tree, where it's one of the few trees in the world where its roots can grow into solid rock. And of course, Jesus Christ is our rock, right? He's the bedrock. Yes. And we have the Word of God. And it's not by happenstance that the the first sign of life after the flood was an olive branch. Because when the winds come, right, the rains come, the earth shakes, and, and everything is washed away, the only thing that was left giving life was the tree that was built into the solid rock of mm. Jesus Christ. And that's the analogy that we all need to realize. So that, again, going back to being prepared for the things that are to come, we need to be grounded in Jesus Christ, the Word of God, these eight keys, so that when the winds come and the rains come and the earth shakes, uh, we are unshakable because He is unshakable. Amen. 
Amen. And you share that we are not unaware of the enemy's schemes. That's a very important point that you make. Um, Eight key principles that you highlight throughout the book. I just want to just read through them and then ask you the final question, because it's very important that we talk about churches, very uh, frequent question that we get here. But eight key principles, your identity in Christ, the will of God, the Holy Spirit, the five callings, hearing God's voice, how not to be deceived, knowing the shepherd, and the blood of Christ and our testimony. So that is in Eric's book, Are You Being Robbed? Okay, Eric, sorry, we uh, just have to uh, just wrap up with one more question. Um, one of the things that, that people have found out is when they go to some, some, some mega churches, they find elements of things of the world used to draw people in. In other words, they're using worldly means uh-huh. of entertainment. They're seeker-sensitive, whatever, however you want to describe them. They're not deep. They're not... Uh, going through the Word of God verse by verse, they're not equipping the saints. So you, there's a question I want to ask you. You're not a fan of seeker-friendly churches, and I'd love you just to explain your perspective here for our listeners, who will, will probably shout amen, I'm guessing. Well, I, I'll give you, again, I'll give you an experience. <laughs> there, was a, there was a very large mega church in our area, and uh, as I began getting involved in this particular, it was singles ministry, so it was 30s and 40s, uh, 20s. Um, and talking to, to, to people that had been going to this church their entire life, or oh. most of their life, I should say, not their entire life, but mm-hmm. most of their life. Yes. Basic things like asking them, have you ever heard God's voice? Uh, no? Oh, I don't, I don't think so. You know, do you know what your calling is? No. Um what about uh, your testimony? You know, and then usually they'll, they'll, their testimony will sound like, you know, God's a genie, and you just, you know, you rub a genie bottle and he gives you wishes or whatever. Mm. Where the, You know, and the testimony I think, is based on the testimony of Jesus Christ, right? I, I'll, and then through discipleship and leading these people through these different things, they're like, oh my gosh, I never knew that. How could, you know, and there was a reoccurring theme I would see over and over and over again, is every believer in this church would be upset. They're like, how could I spend 15 years in this church, or yep. 20 years, and never find out these basic, you know, biblical principles? I've never been taught this. Or hell, hell's another one. Oh my gosh, how many people are completely ignorant? Jesus spoke more about hell than heaven for a reason. Yes, he did. Right? And, uh, and it's, a, it's a very real place, a very real consequences. In fact, I argue in the book that our identity ultimately determines our destination. Again, if our identity is in this world, it's going along with you know, our, our destination is going along with uh, the, the way of the world. And if our identity is in Christ, then it's a very different place of the world. So then, then with the world. So that was a, one of the things that really woke me up to the seeker-sensitive churches. They they say, well, we want to we want to get a lot of people into the doors, but then. You're getting a lot of people in the doors, and they're not getting saved, or they're not getting equipped. They're not growing, right? Mm-hmm. God, as God promises, the refiner's fire, uh, from glory to glory. Then there's a problem. Stagnation is is really retardation. Okay, Time, the the finish line of our life is getting closer every day. It could be tomorrow, it could be 20 years from now, whatever. But the fact is that finish line is getting closer. And if we aren't growing, if we aren't running, if we're stagnant, mm-hmm. we're actually going backwards. And so our ultimate goal, my goal of the book, is for every Christian believer to not just finish that line, but to run the race Amen. and run it well, Amen. so that we can hear those words from our glorious Father one day, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you say, take up the challenge now and be a light and a blessing in this fallen world. Um, Eric Urine, you also have a new um, a study guide, a free study guide that's downloadable, correct? Yes. Okay, so is yeah, that... go to the website. Great. Uh, the website, areyoubeingrobbed.org. Yeah. I have a feeling we're going to have to continue this conversation, and uh, Lord willing, next time we can go deeper if you'd like to come back on. How's that? Sounds wonderful. Thank you, Eric. You can get the book on Amazon and other, other outlets, but you can go to his website, areyoubeingrobbed.org. Eric, God bless you, brother. Keep fighting the good fight. God bless you, too. Thank you. You're welcome. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about uh, the email I received about what's going on in local schools with pronouns, plus the article over at Harbinger's Daily homepage now, 
Only 2% of young parents hold a biblical worldview. This is a new Barna study. Shocking, disappointing. More on Standard for the Truth in just a minute. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Okay, so uh, Harbinger's Daily picked up my new article from yesterday, and we broke the story um, because I was sent a press release from Barna and uh, the Cultural Research Center in Arizona, and I put the blog out yesterday, and Freedom Project put it out, Harbinger's Daily put it out, and I think Faithwire picked it up, and you'll hear this more and more. Other outlets will pick this up, and um, I've never broken a story before, so it's kind of fun. Uh, but anyway, only 2% of young parents. What is young? Let's define that. Parents of pre-teenagers, in other words, younger than 13, that age group, millennials, you know, young parents, only 2% hold a biblical worldview. We'll get to this uh, transgender pronoun email in a minute. I do want to say something that uh, my experience that Eric was talking about with megachurches is unfortunately more accurate and frequent than not, and that these uh, seeker-sensitive churches, the shallow theology, kind of, uh, you, you know, it, you, it prepares this, it cultivates this atmosphere of just saints, believers in Christ that just are not equipped. And a church that we were attending for a while, uh, we were meeting people that weren't even saved. And they were going, and it was just really astounding. And the youth group was all about entertainment. And the youth were told to bring their non-Christian friends. So you're going, wait a minute, they must bring their friends. They Wouldn't they be offended by the truth of God's word? Well, what they were doing is they were just doing games and playing sports and just doing activities for literally 80 to 85% of time in the youth group. So this is what uh, we've come against now in the church. But George Barna commented on this research, and if you want to pick up yesterday's podcast with Linda Harvey, where we talk more about education and the pronoun march through our, our institutions— um, we went through half of this article yesterday, the good part of it, but now it's over at harbingersdaily.com, homepage. George Barna said, A parent's primary responsibility is to prepare a child for the life God intends for that child. A crucial element in that nurturing is helping the child develop a biblical worldview. Stop right there. Christian parent, how are you doing? This is not a beat up on you. Uh, session. This is not a guilt trip session. We don't do that here. We speak the truth. We encourage. We rebuke when necessary. We confront. And um, you've got to understand your crucial role because your kids are dealing with everything that's going to tell them the opposite of who God is and the opposite of the biblical worldview. Um, so that's the filter, by the way, the biblical worldview that causes a person to make their choices that line up with biblical teachings and principles. Sadly, the research confirms that very few parents even have the worldview development of their children on their radar. That means they don't even think about it. They're too busy, distracted. Uh, maybe they're not equipped themselves. Therein lies another issue. If, if professing Christian parents are not equipped to instill this truth and the gospel, the biblical worldview in their children, if they're not equipped to do that, then how do you, how do you expect your children to get it? From their friends, the peer pressure, from social media, from Hollywood, from their, the teachers at work that are told to go along with this madness? Um, so yes, much of it is the parents' responsibility, but let's talk about pastors and church leaders, however. Um, this hasn't helped matters with, oh Lord, um, I did a little bit of touring uh, Christian bands in the uh, late 80s. <laughs> 80s. Yes, I had a mullet. Um, and then later on, when I moved to Wisconsin, and, and my wife and I, she had a music ministry. She had a couple CDs out. She got some airplay on Christian radio. We were traveling around good different parts of the country, playing in all kinds of churches. And th there have been some very forgettable, shallow, Topical sermons, you might refer to as sermonettes, 
um, they don't go deep. They don't really theologically equip or they don't certainly don't talk about culture and evil and address what's going on, exposing deeds of darkness, as it says in Ephesians 5.11, or, or talking about government or politics. <gasps> the P word, politics. Well, you know, the separation of church and state is the second biggest lie in America right after evolution. But um, so let's, let's get back to the glaring con- consistency here in America, what we've been dealing with in this culture and spirituality research that we've seen, whether it's Barna, Pew, Gallup, Lifeway, the dismissal of the Bible as a reliable and accurate source of God's truth is one of the consistencies. Number two is a lack of deep commitment to practicing their faith. These are young parents. So in this research, only 52% of parents of preteens who are Christians or claim to be Christians, only half, roughly half of them, report being deeply committed to practicing their faith. Why does this matter? Look around at the culture. Look around at your public schools. Look, look at your government. Um, look at our society. If parents are not equipped, kids are not going to be equipped, and they're only going to regurgitate what they learn in public government anti-Christian schools. Now, I've got friends that are teachers. I've got some who've gotten out of there, but I've got friends that are teachers. So they, it's a hard, they, they're in a very difficult position. You might say rock in a hard place because their hands are tied, aren't they? You can't talk about the Bible. You can't pray with your kids, You at least openly. Um, one of my friends who's a teacher was asked to remove a Bible. Actually, it was a her. She was asked to remove her Bible from her desk. Um, anyway, so we could go down that road, just explain there are Christian teachers, but the the problem continues. Um, the left attacked us at the root and now we've been seeing the fruit and that fruit is rotten. So with all that kids are facing today, guys, according to this research, it may seem unbelievable that very few parents intentionally speak to their children about the biblical worldview, about their beliefs, about behavior, morality based upon the Bible. And some still wonder how we got here, right, in America. Well, um, remember when the left claimed it, it would, it's not going to be a big deal to remove the Ten Commandments displays or expel the Bible and God and prayer from public schools? Remember when we fell for it and did little to stop them? <sighs> anyway, um, we got, have to remember, first, this battle is spiritual. Yes, put on the armor of God. If your armor is dented, <laughs> hammer those dents out. Get that, sharpen that sword of the Spirit. That means you're the Word of God um, while there's still time. So Jesus hasn't returned yet. What does that mean? There's always hope. But from all cultural indicators, it appears to be quickly fading. I shared some scripture from Second. Samuel chapter 7 to open up the podcast. I'm going to close, or we're not quite ready to close, but right now I just want to share from uh, Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in a godly manner in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. That's Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Now, as promised, um, the email that I, ha- I got. Okay, first of all, real quick, I've got an article over at Family Research Council down in Florida. <laughs> you wouldn't believe what the media, the, the extent the media does to, to hide the truth. They're complicit. They're evil. They're anti-Christian. Um, don't trust them. The Associated Press, which is hyper-liberal, but the, the Associated Press, Tuesday, they couldn't even find, they couldn't even bring itself, the AP, to call Florida's 
parental rights bill by its real name. Here's what they did. This is only going to be less than 30 seconds. The reporter covering the story for the AP announced that instead of the Florida legislature, uh, they, they passed the don't say gay bill. That's what the AP reported. You know what the truth is, friends? The word gay doesn't even appear in the bill. And so DeSantis was framed as a homophobe, of course. Not that that stopped the BBC, Time Magazine, NPR, ABC, NBC, and CBS from reporting the story as the lie that it was put out by the Associated Press. Don't say gay, Bill. This is just the complicit nature of our media. They are evil. And that is another institution in America that is beyond reform. Pray for their souls. Pray for them to be saved, yes, but have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness and expose them. Now, this email I got from someone locally, there's another pronoun that we didn't talk about yesterday called furries. Have you heard about this? Furries. Um, yes, kids apparently think they're, they're furry creatures or something like that. They're identifying with animals. But I'm hearing from families, this is the question, I'm hearing from families that some teachers... Uh, particularly at the high school level, ask students for their pronouns at the beginning of the year. The answer from the school, we do not have a policy pertaining to staff asking questions about their preferred pronoun. Another question that was asked, I've got this in, uh, documented here. What's the protocol if a student discloses a pronoun other than their biological one? Are parents informed? I know Oshkosh has a policy where they won't disclose to parents. Answer. We do not have a policy or any defined pro protocol for how to respond when a student asks to be called a different name other than what is included, and our response to re a request will depend on the age of the student, the school level, and circumstances around the situation. Overall, I want to help students succeed, so decisions will be made to best meet the needs of the students. Situations should be handled differently based on the circumstances. How's that for politics? A political answer. Also, a question. I'm hearing about complaints of children identifying as furries, F-U-R-R-I-E-S. They basically identify as animals and require others to treat them as such. I specifically heard there may be one in Appleton at this particular school. Some districts have allowed students litter boxes. Is this something we do? Answer. Interesting question. We checked with all of our secondary, uh, secondary principals, and there are absolutely no furries at any schools. Well, this person that investigated found that to be a lie. Um, finally, I have heard that there are transgender students, particularly at, at East High School, changing in their non-biological gym locker room. Is that true? Answer. Attached is a document that explains legal protections for transgender students. These are not our policies, but rather federal law. So whatever the O'Biden administration puts out, that's what your small local school is defending, and that's the policy. I just wanted to make sure you understood that it's not just the big cities. Don't say it can't happen at my child's school. Wish we had more time. Next week, you will hear from Alex Newman of The New American on Monday, Dr. Alveda King on Tuesday, Pastor Kerry Gordon and Enemies Within the Church Wednesday, Steve Kane Thursday, Ray Comfort Friday, God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs>